Welcome to Razor Branding Podcast with Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, thanks for joining us on Razor Branding Podcast. I'm Jackie Russo, and I'm incredibly honored and excited to have my longtime friend, Park Howell, with us today. He runs an agency, he's an author, he's a storyteller, and an all-around awesome dude. Park, welcome to the show. Jackie, thank you very much. I haven't been a, called an all-around awesome dude in a while, so thank you for that. Well, man, then you're just not hanging out with the right people. I know it. I know it. So I know we were going to have a lot of catch-up before, but there was a little bit of a technical glitch. Um, so we're actually just seeing each other for the first time. We didn't have the usual backstage green room chit-chat. So how long has it been since we first met? Was it 08, 09? Yes, it was. You know, thank God that uh, gentleman Michael Gass, you know, one of our our uh, angels in our lives, brought us all together out in Alabama, and we had we were the first group of the whole Fuel Lines uh, Biz Dev program. And yeah, I think that was two thousand and eight, fall of two thousand eight, as I recall. That's, That's where we first got acquainted. Right. Well, and think about it. Like, so the agencies that were there, we were all just starting to figure out social media, figuring out how to get us kind of all going with this new world paradigm that was happening. It's fascinating to me how far we've all come. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, you've written how many books now, too? Well, I've got right. one major one and then right. a couple of smaller ones. But yeah, and you know, I started writing that book back then and I sat on it for about five years. I got it done around roughly 2010 and I thought, you know, Jackie, I've got to proof this out a little bit more. So I worked around the world with a lot of different companies and brands around um, storytelling. And then what did I do? I had to rewrite the whole darn thing again, you know, starting about a year and a half ago, and I finally got it out in June. So, right. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so can we go buy it on Amazon and, and, and buy them for Christmas presents and give them to everybody we know? There you go. Even grandma. Grandma's going to love one of these books, Brand Bewitchery. <laughs> I love it. So tell me about Brand Bewitchery. What's the angle you're coming at? Where's it coming from? Well, as you know, I've been in this branding marketing world for 35 years, and I ran Park & Co., my ad agency, from 1995 until 2015. And it was roughly about that same time we all got acquainted a little bit earlier than that when I realized things just weren't working in the advertising world like they used to, and branding in particular wasn't nearly as effective, the old way of doing it. And I went and searched for an answer. I was fortunate. Our um, middle child, our son Parker, was going to film school at Chapman University at the time in Orange, California, 2006, 2010. Graduates. He's been in Hollywood ever since as a director of uh, motion design and uh, mixed reality TV and, and film. But while he was there, I said, send me your books since I'm paying for them because I've got to know how does Hollywood communicate and get you prepared to be competitive in the most competitive storytelling market in the world. Found Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey, Blake Snyder. And I just was like an aha moment for me, Jackie, in the branding world. It's like Hollywood knows this. These writers and screenwriters know this stuff. Why don't we use these same story principles in marketing. And so that's, that launched me into my quest to become what some people are now calling me the most industrious business storyteller, because we've been able to use it to great effect for our customers. Yeah, that is awesome. You know, I think there's some parallels in your approach and Donald Miller, 
um, and I'm, I'm guessing you read his stuff. Do you see some similarities and where are the differences? Well, here, here's the interesting thing about that. Yes. So a uh, story brand is great and I'm always compared to it. Story brand is a nice marketing thing. If you want a quick marketing hit to get your website working, it works really, really well. In fact, I used it when it first came out. Brand Bewitchery, my, my approach, business of story, comes from my 35 years in the branding world of going deep and really understanding what your brand stands for and mm -hmm. therefore stands out in the world. Story Brand is great for those smaller companies that are just trying to get that quick hit. Mine goes much deeper. The interesting thing about Miller is I love him and his work. Uh, a friend of mine back in roughly about 2008 introduced me to his book, A uh, Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I read it. And then he was having a conference up in Portland. And I called a buddy of mine in Seattle. I said, meet me in Portland because I want to hear this guy speak. Because this is when I was studying and, and learning about story and applying it into the branding world. At that time, Story Brand wasn't even on his radar. They were He was just out doing his thing. And I just loved how he helped so many people in his approach to life. I wrote an article after that, a blog for my post. And I said, you know, as I'm studying story and how to use it in branding, I came across Donald Miller and I'm really fascinated by what he's doing there. Well, unbeknownst to me, about six months later, they're starting to build story brands. So I didn't know if I helped trigger that or not. So we ran in parallels. They did something really, really smart by making it very accessible to the masses, um, but it doesn't go deep. So I get a lot of story brand customers that call me and say, yeah, we liked it, but we need to go much, much deeper with our brand. And can you help us with that? That's the difference. They're like this. I'm like this. And that's kind of the intersection. <laughs> I like that visual, though. I think that makes a lot of sense. How would you explain brand bewitchery to somebody? They're thinking I need something more. So it, it, does that have some core principles? Are there some elements? Is there a process? How's it work? Well, since you brought it up, I just happen to have a copy right here, Jackie. <laughs> I created the 10 step story cycle system completely inspired by Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Because when I saw that, I thought, how could we map that to business and especially the logical, rational, reasonable business brain to open the door, to get in, to then create and craft stories that show the humanity of the business. In Brand Bewitchery, I take people through that 10-step process. And it's even a workbook. It's, it's not just a text, but there are worksheets that you could do in there. And all it does is uses that primal story arc of setup, problem, resolution that we see everywhere. I didn't invent any of this stuff. It's been around forever. I just mapped it to business um, and used it to help brands really understand their place in the world, what they stand for, and how to tell their story from their customer's point of view, not the brand's point of view. And the greatest paradigm shift I see with people is, oh my God, I've always put the brand as the hero of the journey. I go, no, it's not. Never has been. It's always about your customer. And when you do that, big things you know, happen like Adelante Healthcare was the very first company out here I tried this on. Total science experiment. This is back in 2008, nine. I didn't know if it would work or not. And I was lucky because I worked with an absolute brilliant CEO, Avin Sati Tafoya. She not only is brilliant, but she is this like enormous humanitarian. And she loved the idea of trying this story process on them. 
So we went in, we did it. They launched their new story in 2010, and they've grown by 600%. And Avine will be the first one to tell you it was precisely because they got their story, the humanity of this very large healthcare organization um, embraced internally and shared externally in such a way that it attracted the kind of doctors they were looking for, the patients they were looking for. They went from four struggling clinics to nine today. Um, it's all about sustainable healthcare. Six of those clinics are LEED certified and they run the only platinum LEED certified clinic in the country precisely because they got their brand story pulled together. That's awesome. That is awesome. We did something very similar for a regional healthcare um, organization, Lafayette General Health. And you're right. Once you stop talking about yourself and you start telling the stories of your patients and making them the heroes of their stories, it's such a connected thread, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why do you think it is that people get stuck talking about features instead of benefits? How does that happen? Navel gazing. You know, I mean, come on. So here I am. I'm I'm falling prey to it right now, Jackie. I have to show my book again. Look, at, I developed this thing, and it actually works. And I'm like, I'm so damn smart. This is so cool. Let me tell you how cool this thing is. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody right. cares. Right. They're like, Park, just give me the answer. Oh, you got a system to get there. Are you going to make me read your book? Or can you just come in and give me the answer? So we all do it because it's about them. They say, Park, give me the answer. Don't make me work for it. All of our customers are the same way. Right. Jackie, give me the answers. Don't make me work for it. You're really smart. You've been doing this longer than I have. That's why I'm paying you. Right. So don't make me work through it. And you think about that in every possible purchase you make. Give me the answer. Help me fulfill a wish, an emotion that I have going inside of me. And how the hell are you ever going to know what that emotion is and how you're going to grant that wish to your customer unless you really, truly understand them and empathize with them and where they are on their hero's journey? Right. Meet them where they are with that story and you'll befriend them. They'll fall in love with you and then deliver on all those promises and you'll have them for life. Don't you think it's interesting how we get sucked into thinking we're the most important one in the room, right? when we forget. So I find that all the time, and I know you do too, as an agency person, I can bring some branding knowledge to the room. As the client, you have industry knowledge, but there's that empty chair. And that empty chair is the most important chair and nobody's asked them what they think. So when you're consulting with people and you wanna help them build their brand, how do you go about asking the empty chair and getting the intel of the client and what the, um, the customer, the end customer, what do they want? Gosh, that's such a good question. And you you know, you have to go through your client typically first and foremost before that. And you quite often find your customer doesn't even know. Your client, your client doesn't even know. So you gotta then start asking those very prodding questions about what do they really want? That's kind of the nice thing about this process that I learned that I didn't invent, but as I was doing it, I had a lot of aha moments throughout it. It's in the questions that you ask your clients, your paying clients who you're trying to help you know, get to those customers to make them realize and unveil to them that they don't even know. But that's okay because we all go through that or they know just a little bit. But when they go through this process, it makes them start thinking about their customers and it may then elicit them to go out and do the research. 
do the digging, or just pick up the doggone phone and talk to some of them. Now, Jackie, you've done a lot of this, I know, in your world. I learned something on my show last week from Rick Cesari, and he is like the infomercial king. He's the one that put the George Foreman grill on the map. I mean, that's why I want him on the show. I go, George Foreman grill, man, that's totally cool. Did Sonic Air infomercials. He did uh, uh, for GoPro. Anyways, he's a legend at it. And he said something to me that really surprised me about this notion of understanding your audience. I used to think you had to go out and get 30, 50, 100, several hundred inputs from audience members to really understand them and what they want. He says 15. All they do, he goes, after you get to number 16, you just start seeing the same trending over and over again. And they built billion dollar brands on the insights of 15 customers. So I, I'm learning from that. And the next time I sit down and they don't know who their customer is, I said, let's go find 15 of them and get them on the phone. Yep. That's what I would do. I would tell you he's right. And I would tell you how I know he's right. So way back in my first life working in Los Angeles, um, we took a product called the Stretch and Flex and put it on Home Shopping Network and sold a ton of it. We sold out over and over and over again. And I kept hearing, oh, we got to ask a thousand people. We got to do this survey. We got to have 50,000 respondents to really know we're on something. And you know what Barry Diller did at Home Shopping Network? He said a dozen. I need a dozen opinions. And after a dozen, I just start hearing repetition. Out of that first dozen, I'll know everything I need to know because I'll get the nuggets, those little kernels of truth, and I'll know we know. And it still works for me today. And that was advice in 1995. So... So it, it's brilliant. And I'm just surprised after all this time, I'm just learning that. But how hard is it to pick up the phone and talk to a dozen people, a dozen of your customers? Right. You know? Right, right. Now, we have a whole team of people who do it here. Um, yeah. Our Razor Branding team does exactly that. They just have conversations. Um, and I think you've had the same approach that we've had where you don't just surround yourself with advertising people, right? You surround yourself with storytellers, with people from dis different disciplines, because you want to go out and learn. And you can't do that if everybody is in lockstep from the same background. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, couldn't say it any better than that. You, if you just get wrapped around, you know, with a bunch of the same kind of designers and writers and media planners and whatever, you know, we're all social beings. So we're going to learn and pull from and work off of all of those around us. If they're all exactly the same, boy, everything starts looking the same. And I had a challenge with my agency too, is when I really started going down the story route, I mean, I had half my firm like, is he crazy? What the hell is he doing? Well, this seems to be working fine. Why would we change this now? But I feared that we were going to become irrelevant. Um, and a lot of that work it did with Michael Gass and, and, and you all, and just listening to what, what we were all working on told me that we cannot remain in status quo and we had to move forward, which meant I needed to start pulling some characters, some different people in our life. I started teaching at Arizona State University a master's course in this stuff so I could learn while I taught executives. And I had staff members going, what the hell is he doing that for? Why is he out digging up new business? Uh, and that was my big aha moment when I realized I was surrounded by too many of the same people that thought the same way. And even my creative director, uh, Luis Medina, who's just a great friend of mine, and we've done a lot of work since, even he said, Park, it's like you are pulling away and getting ahead of your own agency. <laughs> your people can't keep up. And that's a problem. That's a problem. 
Right. No, y'all need to work together. But yeah. coming from those different backgrounds, it's always fascinating. So let's catch up to this year and, um, you know, pandemic times. How yeah. have you pivoted and how have you helped yeah. other people pivot? What's that shift been like for you this year? I have worked harder for less money in my <laughs> life. Amen, let's brother. Right there. Let's just start right there. Number two, I had to put my sales hat to the side and just help. And I just help as many people as I possibly can. They, you know, some of them pay for it, some don't, some, you know, and, and it is now coming back in, you know, tenfold because all those people that I've helped for over the last six months are saying, okay, now Park, it's time. We've got a budget. We're going to do this. I need you to come and work with the sales team here. I need you to do that. Because as you know, Jackie, I don't do the traditional ad agency work anymore. In fact, I got a call right before this as someone who wants a print ad. I'm going to have to call back and say, sorry, I don't do that, but let me refer you. But what I am doing is story consulting and coaching for brands to make sure that their story is dialed in and is being consistently told and also doing a ton of work with sales teams around right. how do you understand the big brand story here and how are you storying it, messaging it out to the world. And so my biggest pivot was number one, don't panic. Number two, the phone's not ringing. So, you know, try to panic. Number three, don't panic. And then produce. I've been producing a ton of content on my podcast and helping anywhere I can through webinars and this, that, and the other thing. And it's now business, thank God, has finally come back and things are just, you know, blasting away. 2021 is going to be pretty amazing. Although I thought about 2020 being the same way too. So fingers crossed. Yeah, don't jinx us. Let's get to that first. <laughs> now, you're sitting in a pretty nice setup there. Is that your studio? This is my studio office. Yeah. So we were fortunate when we were running Park & Co., the old ad agency, uh, we were able to buy a building here in Phoenix and it's just around the corner from my house. So I have this beautiful little 500 square foot office. I got a little entry thing, kitchenette out there. But in here, as you can see, it looks like a piano showroom. Right. I play piano. I you know, got a degree in music composition and theory and I have a way of collecting keyboards and then I've got my do my my podcast in the back there. The business of story comes out once a week, um, and so yeah. So this is a combination of studio, office, stand up desk, sit down, pass out over there, you know that kind of thing. I love that. You know, it's interesting. I forgot you have a music background. Michael, uh, co-founded the agency with me, has a music background as well, and he believes the best musicians are the best storytellers mm -hmm. because they get the rhythm of it. Do you find that there's some symbols, you know, some simpatico there? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I started playing the piano when I was in the third grade. I was amazed by my grandmother, Mabel, who was playing the piano ragtime piece. And I was a little kid and I was like blown away. And I said, I want to be able to do that. And then I started writing all these goofy little songs just for the hell of it. And I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I loved it so much that I was, when I went to WSU, Washington State University, I was studying communications, journalism, advertising. I would walk by the music building every day and I'm like, well, I got a little extra time in my hands. What if I just start taking a few courses here and there? Well, next thing I know, I have a degree in music composition and theory before I have my degree in journalism and communications. Now, this is the way the universe works. This is, I'll totally date myself. This is back 1983, 84. Graduated two degrees in four and a half years, which everyone that knew me in high school thought, what the hell happened to you? How'd you pull that off? Because I love doing it. We're in the advertising world, but now advanced 20 years. And as I start studying story, I realize it's story composition and theory. 
I'm just everything I learned about music and, and to Michael's point, it is, you know, musicians are storytellers that I have applied it in my world as a writer, as a producer, um, as a creative, as a, as a brander my whole life. I never codified it until our son was going to film school. And then I started looking at how scripts come together and whatever. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's been sitting there for 20 years for me. Here it is. And so, yeah, that was my major aha moment. Right. Um, this is a little off the record, but how is Parker doing with the production having been paused all year long? Has he been able to work? Yeah, he has. So he does a lot of work. When he's not directing, he builds a lot of 3D motion design graphics. He's able to do that himself or bring in a team. I know he's got a big project for Microsoft right now that he's doing for them. Um, there are game shows that are in production. And to help you know pay his bills, they hire him all the time. So when you're watching like, um, oh, what was that one? I'm spacing it up. Anyways, he and his team will will build out the game show graphics of stuff flying around, you know, that kind of thing. So that helps pay his bills. But he's also done some really interesting things in mixed reality on Twitch. And they did this really crazy, was it August, July? They did this crazy live stream for three and a half hours of Dungeons and Dragons on Twitch with all the these cosplayers. So there, there are four or five influencer players all dressed up in these crazy outfits. And then they had uh, digital screens on either side of them. And they had produced somewhere in the realm of like 500, 5,000 different digital images. So whatever happened in that quest in Dungeons and Dragons, they could pull it up. So if the monster comes in, they right. could pull up this 3D monster and it all had to be real time live. And so they got money to do that, to produce a pilot. They did it. They had great success with it. They did it all with everyone wearing masks that, that you know, worked with their outfits. And now they're in the process of trying to sell it. They've got some interest from a few places. So they're in that. So he has been able to stay busy because he can do all of his work from his computer. He doesn't have to be on set. That's impressive. Uh, so my number three, our number three, uh, Maggie is getting ready to graduate um, high school this year and wants to go into film, video, production, editing, something. So maybe at some point she can you know, reach out to him because the Absolutely. path he's on, she's about seven years behind him. Absolutely. He does that all the time. And, and, and she can also just go to his website, Parker. I'm just Park. No, we are. He's right. Parker, ParkerHowell.com. Um, best place to see his work and to, to reach out to him. And I'd be happy to make that introduction awesome. to you, Jackie. He does that a lot for our friends that said, hey, can I have my son right. or daughter talk to Parker? They're interested in what he does and he's happy to help. Uh, okay, so crazy question. Did you register his name as a URL when he was born? I No, I gave it to him as a Christmas present when he was 14. And, nice. and everyone in the family thought that was weird. And Parker's like, thanks, man. That's cool. So, yeah, he got ParkerHowell.com for Christmas, I think, when he was 14. That's very cool. Well, mine are a little bit younger. Um, and so we did it when they were born. And I'm just holding on to them. At some point, they'll need them. But, I mean, I think there's a valuable asset to own oh, yeah. your name it one is. day, especially it the .com version. It absolutely is. I got mine way back in the day when the .com thing came out, you know. Me too. But I had a weird enough name that it was easy to get. Me too. Um, I'm, I'm glad I, and I use it for my speaker site and other things. And right. Hold on That's to what it. I, 
But I mean, yeah, having a weird name and a weirdly spelled name, I think we have a little bit of advantage. I feel bad for the people with normal names. Finally, our time has come, Park. We will rise above them. <laughs> well, you got to understand, Jackie, I'm one of seven kids. Dan, Melody, Tom, Steve, Chris, Mike, Park. Like, <laughs> what the hell? And I asked my dad, he, he passed away a couple of years, well, just, just two years ago from Alzheimer's, lived a great life, you know, and I, but before he was gone, I had asked him, I go, where, you know, where'd my name come from? And he told me, he said, he was a civil engineer and he grew up in North Dakota, depression era kid and whatever. When he graduated from the University of North Dakota, his first job was working in the engineering department in Fargo, North Dakota. The lead civil engineer there, his boss's name was Park Tarbell. He was a Norwegian, as my dad is, was, is, I am a little bit, Park Tarbell. And I said, well, why would you give me his name? Because everyone else is pretty much named after someone in our family. And he said, well, he was my first boss, and he passed away about the time you were born, and he always got things done easily and happily. And so that's why I got his name. So my mission now in the world is to help people with their brand storytelling as easily and happily as I can. That is beautiful. I love that. <laughs> I do too. It was gifted to me when I asked him and he just shared that with me. That is perfect. Were you able to capture his story before the Alzheimer's kicked in? Yeah, we did. We were Parker and I and, our, and his younger brother, Caden. Um, we all went up to Seattle where my where I grew up. My mom and dad were about, gosh, was it six years ago now. So he was just, we knew he had uh, the diagnoses seven years ago, uh, but he was still quite cognizant. You're starting to you know, miss some things here and there. So we went up right after Parker graduated. He's had a few years and we got a production kit up there, camera, lights, and the whole thing, audio. And we spent two beautiful, glorious days on their property up there called the Happy H. He, he branded our 12-acre our uh, you know, ranchette we grew up on that my 95-year-old mom still lives on to this day. Wow. Um, and we spent two days capturing his story and her story. And some of the ex, you know extenuating family folks would come in. And I probably have... 50 hours of film talking to different people in that. And during COVID, I just started cobbling some of those things together in a rough edit and sharing it out with the family. And it's it's meant a lot to them because we were able to hear a lot of those great stories again. Oh, especially now that he's gone. What a great gift. The other beautiful thing with him is he was an avid photographer and he was actually quite good. He just loved taking pictures. So we probably have a hundred carousels of photos of 35 millimeter slides from before he was married to my mom to this through their 60 years almost 65 years of marriage um you know he, he did kind of slow down the last few years there but we have all that at some point i envision taking his story and then overlaying a lot of those imageries when he's talking about these things because he was like a photojournalist he took pictures of everything right oh that's amazing amazing yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you think about all that we have lost this year, you know, I'm thinking about the loss of your dad. I know it was a couple of years ago, but still, um, how do we rebound from that as a people? What's our story going to evolve to next year? Do you feel like it's pent up energy and next year, everybody just is like, wow, do all the stuff I couldn't do. I mean, where do we go as a, as a yeah. humanity? 
Gosh, that's a good, good question. I don't know. I don't think it's just going to explode I, because it's going to take a long time to get over this COVID thing, even with the vaccines coming out. I know people are trying to explode and, and are starting to explode and get out there. I think it's going to, I think at least the first half of 2021, my guess is going to be extraordinarily cautious. The, things might start loosening up third quarter. You might start seeing more normalcy in fourth quarter. And I don't, I'm just guessing at this. Sure. But so much of my work leading up to this was traveling and working in person and doing keynotes and half day and full day workshops and that kind of thing. Well, of course, those all got kiboshed in, in March. So it's all online like everybody's experiencing right now. And I'm just not so sure how quickly people are going to come out of that. They like it. It works. It's not the greatest thing in the world. I will say that. I really miss the one-on-one -on -one connection. But I think it's going to take some time. And I think we're going to be over eager to get it behind us. Um, and that might cause the greatest frustration for 2021. Well, I think that's what's happening right now with this next wave that we're in. I think people are like, I want to go back to normal life. So I'm just going to do that. Yeah. And maybe a little too soon. <laughs> just yeah. a bit. Um, well, have you ever had that cold or that flu that you could not shake? Like you normally have it for five days, 10 days, maybe, you know, you know, a week or so. And then it's like you're six weeks into it and it just keeps coming back. And you're like, give me a break. You know, I think that's what we're in for for 2021. Whether you got COVID or not, I just think just the whole malaise, morass of COVID is going to be like, no, we're almost through it. No, we're not. <laughs> oh, I feel good. No, I don't. And then it will get, you know, some pace, maybe third quarter. Right. No, I think that's exactly right. Um, and that's what everybody's like, go, stop, go, stop. That's yeah. kind of how they feel. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so what's a typical day in your life right now, trying to work remotely, still writing, still consulting with people? I mean, what what's your day like? <laughs> I am such a friggin' creature of habit, Jackie. So I live a mile and a half that way. Mm -hmm. And we got this office here and I just couldn't work from home because I would, I would go crazy. I have to have that change. I've been that my whole life. So every single day, basically we you know, aren't vacationing. We did take a little bit of a break, saw my mom, but we're not, you know, not really vacationing. I get up, I do everything I've always done. I have my coffee in the morning, walk the dog, get a little exercise, did a little yoga this morning, uh, get my story, you know, business of story uniform on. I'm in here by 8, 8.39 at the latest, and I work till 5, <laughs> 5.30, and then I give myself permission to go home. And my mom said, you know, she had asked me, it was in June, how you doing, Park, talking on the phone? And I said, that's good. You know, it's tough. How's business? She said, and I go, well, you know, it's a little shaky. It's uh, we're pivoting. People aren't doing anything. And now we're doing it differently. And I said, I'm just trying everything I can think of, you know, to drum up more business and help people. And she said the most, the greatest thing, Jackie, she just said, well, it only takes one. <laughs> like it only takes one idea. So just keep doing it. Throw as much at the wall as you can, because it only takes one. And she's so right. She was so right on it. And that gave me a little bit of solace. So I do the same thing every day. I'm in here by 8 or 8.30. I will work till 5 or 5.30, produce my show, doing a lot more work again. Now I'm back to pretty much full volume and then some leading into 2021. But that's only really recovered in the last four weeks. Uh, so... I am a creature of habit and do the same darn thing every single day. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that that 
um, those habits are healthy. I think that when we can get some sense of normalcy, I think we can go back to being productive. Yeah. Um, for a lot of people, I saw March, April, and May was um, it was terrifying. It was uh, they they remained frozen. Uh, they couldn't move forward because it was too much different all at once. And so I think those habits are good. How about you? How about you at Razor Branding? What? How did it upset your Apple cart? And what have you all been doing to get through it and to work with your customers? Um, you know, it was interesting. Louisiana um, was a, a state of two responses. Uh, New Orleans was one of the first hotspots right after New York and Seattle. And mm -hmm. so that part of the state just shut down. And the rest of the state was like, oh, that's a New Orleans problem. We're good here. Thanks. Uh, and so continue to act like everything was fine. Um, mm -hmm. So it was, it was quite challenging. I had been in New Orleans. Um, actually, I was in New York the week before everything shut down because I took the girls for a trip during Mardi Gras break when we did a little, what was going to become our first annual girls trip to uh, Broadway, see shows, me and the daughters, you know, hanging out. And then I got back, went to New Orleans because I was doing the um, Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business program. I was halfway through that when we were like, no more. <laughs> Go remote. Yeah. Um, and so agency wise, we've been really fortunate. Um, we have managed to keep all of our clients up and running except one who legally cannot operate right now. And so, yeah. um, you know, that's so you something they can do that. about that. Right. Um, everybody else, we found a way to help them pivot, adjust, adapt. Um, the biggest one was probably this really, really nice, fine dining four server, three hour experience uh, that we transitioned into curbside pickup and family meals. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was, talk about a brand shift. You know, we had to tell a lot of different stories because nobody's bringing the towel over their arm, serving you at the table at your house. You're driving up in your car and picking it up in tinfoil and styrofoam. But um, it was, uh, it was a miraculous work on their part and able to recover and, our own pandemic pivot included this. We used to be just an audio only um, mm -hmm. podcast and it became a live video thing because people needed that connection. Mm -hmm. And um, so we went from our 6,000 downloads on the audio side to about 15 or 20,000 per episode on this, uh, which is kind of cool. It was a big shift mm -hmm. um, uh, just seeing that. And, you know, really adjusting to whatever the next normal became as as things shifted, we shifted with it. Michael and I spent some time working on some things in-house processes, mm -hmm. um, reassuring people that we were going to continue to make payroll. We actually have hired uh, three or four new people since March. Good for you. That's yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're plugging along. That's great. And what do you see for 2021? Um, I see pent up demand. I see people spending. I see um, the minute that anybody lets you do anything, people are going to do it. Um, I see uh, I see people saying yes to the vaccine more than the media reports I hear. Um, mm -hmm. The media is saying 40 percent are saying yes. The people that I talk to on a daily basis is about 90 percent. Um, so again, a one dozen small sample size, but um, <laughs> yeah. it gives me optimism that more people will be signing up to take the vaccine and to figure out how to get safe as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And it sure seems like, well, we got three or four vaccines that are about ready to hit the market, both yeah. here in the U S and abroad. Um, that it, it sounds like they can get a lot of people vaccinated very quickly. And I think that's just going to help calm down the psyche of a lot of people too, whether they get the vaccine right away or not, 
it's like, hey, we've, we're getting the upper hand on right. this. You know what I mean? Right. No, absolutely right. Um, so I have kind of made it tradition with these cards that I go through as we're talking. And I've gotten down to the ones that I love the most that I can't wait to ask you, um, oh, right. which is the lightning round. Uh, because <laughs> it's it's that whole like immediate gut reaction, right? Do you so, have a bell or something you can ring for the lightning round? Oh, I wish. I may have to have a sound effect. Oh, <laughs> before I get to the lightning round, I was going to ask you when you were talking about song and, and music composition, do you miss the age of the jingle? I mean, do you want to bring that back? Ah, yeah, you know. I I have not I'm not thought about that. I don't know that I was such a jingle aficionado. Uh -huh. I, you know, the soundscaping and sound design that they're doing these days is really pretty cool. They're doing some really scientifically interesting things that sound good too. I'm very much of a pop, piano, rock and roll type guy. One of my favorite yeah. uh, uh, musicians is Ben Folds. I don't know if you you know Ben. Oh, I do. Ben. Yes. He's doing the most incredible thing on Patreon for nine bucks a month. You go on, he does two, one, two, and sometimes three live one-hour sessions a week. And it could be anything from piano lessons to call out a song to I'm going to show you how I wrote this to actually you can send in your own music. He plays it for everyone to hear, and then he critiques it. And he's wow. one of the most brilliant teachers I've ever seen. He never says a bad word, but he's not Pollyannish either. Anyways, um, I listen to him and I hear jingles a lot in his music. He just has a way of doing that. And I asked him one day, because the other thing is you interact with him and he responds. I mean, right there, it's just like you and I, basically. And I asked him, I said, are you a songwriter or a storyteller first? And he said, oh, absolutely storyteller. So circling way back to your question about Michael, long way of saying jingles, I don't think much about them, but I'm always looking for that little musical hook, which is a jingle in and of itself in pretty much anything I listen to. So does that make you miss the age of videos like MTV VH1 when they actually played music videos all day, when they were telling a visual story to go with the audio story? As a younger man, I think I, I really enjoyed that. As an older guy right now, I don't know. There's so many other things that I'm consuming and bringing in that um, I'm, I probably am not a sit through a music video type right. guy because it's like, my God, that's going to take two and a half minutes. I don't possibly have that kind of time. <laughs> <laughs> my how times have changed i mean really yeah that's it's crazy pathetic, isn't it it's totally pathetic it is all right i'm gonna find a sound um to indicate the lightning round in the future uh, oh beautiful favorite place on earth my absolute favorite place on earth you know i'm gonna say telluride colorado okay it's just gorgeous up there. We go up there, used to take the kids up skiing every year. We were going this past season, but then got called off because of COVID. And it's just, there's something magical about Telluride, Colorado. Yeah. I've only been there once. I've been to Steamboat a couple of times. And that whole area is just so beautiful. Yeah. Really. really. Yeah. Just anything up there is gorgeous. Uh, what's the movie you can't turn off when it's on? Amadeus. Oh. Love it. I should have assumed that though, musical and story, that makes perfect sense. It's so, um, so brilliantly done, so well told. And yes, I'm a big, you know, big Mozart fan and loved how they shared with the, the audience how he composed. And they 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 shared it in a very inner, interesting and entertaining and very accurate way. So I, I just thought it was really, really expertly done on several levels. Right. Oh, fascinating. Um, TV show, to favorite TV show to binge watch? Shit's Creek. Of course. God dang, we you know we never 
re-binge anything, but we have re-binged Schitt's Creek. It merits that, I think. <laughs> um, other than your own, which I'm sure would normally be the first choice, what's your favorite book? What's my favorite? You know, a book that I thought I would not like at all was gifted to me after a presentation, and I absolutely loved it, and I recommend it to everybody. That is Phil Knight's Shoe Dog, oh, his yeah. memoir. Now, I'm not a big Nike guy. They don't really fit me very well. The mm -hmm. shoes don't. So I don't I don't typically, I'm an Asics shoe guy and whatever. And um, I, I admire Mikey's brand and brand storytelling, whatever, but I would have never bought that book. And yet I think it's one of the most exquisite memoirs I've written about business, demonstrating how to use story, and then telling that story where they essentially were going out of business every month for eight years. And through his pure belief, and perseverance, they built it to what it is today, but we get so trapped in just seeing them as the monolithic brand they are today. You don't realize what they went through to get it just, just over the hump of survival. Right. Well, it, it reminded me when I read it years ago is that it is that perfect story of everybody thinking of an overnight success and not realizing every overnight success takes 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's never actually overnight. Um, so other than yours and mine, what's your favorite podcast? I like uh, how I built this NPR yes. guy Ross. <laughs> Am I winning the lightning round? You are so winning the lightning round. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I I really enjoy. It. I've also noticed they've gotten to be a lot more long form, um, and and I think it's good. Sometimes I think they're getting a little bit long winded, uh, they're like they're like they're doing some filling. But overall, I really like how they tell the story. And oh, by the way, when you listen to it, it's the same story over and over again. <laughs> Big idea, started off, everything falls apart. Everything blows up, catches on fire. I'm almost out of business. And, you know, they find through perseverance and belief, they cobble it together. They get a couple breaks. At the end, of course, guy always asks, "Would you? is it luck or is it, you know, smarts? And they pretty much all have the same, you know, answers, kind of 50-50. You got to work your ass off to get lucky. Yes. Yes. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, favorite car? Gosh, I, I Tesla. I mean, I'm not a huge car guy. Right. But I would like to have a Tesla. Um, I will let you ride in mine anytime. <laughs> I got one a year ago. It's been about 13 months now. And, Can I borrow um, it and drive it back to Phoenix? Anytime you want. I'll tell you exactly where the chargers are on the way. I drove mine home from Atlanta. Um, other than, you know, husband, kids, and business, it's my next favorite thing in the world. Yeah, they are beautiful. We had a little BMW um, i3. Oh, yeah. 3i? Yeah, either way. And I, I leased one for two years just because I want to give it a go. That was the most fun car I ever drove. It was like a little go-kart, and you could zip in and out of anybody. You could park the thing anywhere, and it was a blast to right. drive. Right. So now I'm ready to level up to a Tesla. Yeah, mine's a little bigger than that because I have the X. Um, with the doors, you know, but um, oh, yeah. that, that zippy um, room is all there. It's lovely. Well, I've got something for you. Oh, okay, good. A little zippity doodah for you. Since I you're love that. Around with your Tesla. I just uh, pulled this off the shelf. This is what it looks like. Yeah. Oh, so you got the black one. Well, it actually came, it started off as gray, uh, but then I had to put that wrap on it to protect it. And so it's now a matte black. Awesome. Yes. That sounds sweet. I'll send you pictures. It's lovely. <laughs> Just lovely. What is your pettiest pet peeve? 
my pettiest pat gosh that's a that's you are really good at this i try my pettiest pet peeve people that don't use their blinker that just drives me freaking crazy yeah i just you know it's just like come on man just tell me what you're going to do up there you don't own the road just throw the freaking blinker on i got the perfect commercial for it jackie i've thought about this my whole life is you got some fun music playing and you're going down and you're seeing cars using their blinker and you hear just these wonderful little voices. Uh, excuse me, pardon me, coming over. Another blinker here. Uh, would you mind if I slide in right here? You know, another one here. And then, of course, you come to the villain, the big truck or whatever. They go, rah, rah, you know, and they're farting and they're burping and they're doing whatever, but they're not paying attention to their blinker. I know that sounds stupid. That's what I No, I, I love it. But blinkers, non-blinking people drive me freaking nuts. I think we need to find somebody to hire you to do that as a PSA because it could literally change the world. It could change the world. The blinker talking to you and the personality of the car. Absolutely. That yeah. must be a whole campaign around it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know that you love Ben Fold, but other than him, who's your favorite musician? Well, I grew up certainly on Elton John. Uh, my very first album was Caribou. I bought back in 1974. My very first concert, my mother made my older brother, Tom, take me to see Elton John play at the Seattle Center Coliseum. And I think I was in the seventh grade. He was, oh. in, the, he was in high school and I went with he and his buddies. Um, and then, of course, Billy Joel fall, fall, fell on the heels of that. And when I went searching for a modern day, you know, rocker, pop piano player, I found Ben Fold. So those are my three go tos. I mean, you know, kind of pretty obvious, I suppose, going um, to them. Bob Schneider. I don't know. People. He's kind of an independent, but he's a pretty big independent guy. I first heard him in Austin, Texas. And he is prolific. He produces and writes, at least he has. I don't know if he has as much lately. I, I listen to his older stuff. Bob Schneider, and I think if you've never heard of Bob Schneider, Jackie, you might really like him. He has all kinds of music, and it just has this Austin vibe to it that uh, we, Michelle and I, really listen to a lot of Bob Schneider. Okay, I'm going to track him down because I have not heard of him before. Yeah, I but. think you'll like him. He can go anywhere from like just that good old Southern rock, lovely, to f-bomb this f-bomb that all over the state and it's like we saw him in in austin and we're like gosh this he is just awesome and then like a month later we took a bunch of our friends because he was in phoenix it was like a completely different show he was like screaming and yelling and f-bombing everybody and we're like oh my god this wasn't the guy we saw before but most of his music is pretty mellow and fun to listen to right um really really good songwriter I love those singer-songwriter combos, Elton John, Billy Joel, those kind of guys. So I would probably like him a lot. I'm going to track him down. Yeah, yeah, check him out. All right. So um, what song would you be singing on stage at karaoke night? <laughs> Always Look on the Bright Side of Life by Monty Python. Oh, excellent choice. That is fantastic. <laughs> um, what is your favorite sport to play or watch? I uh, used to love to play football. Now I wasn't big enough, fast enough, or strong enough to play in high school. I played all the way up to that, but I just really enjoy football, college yeah. football. And as a you know younger guy, we used to play, of course, the Turkey Day flag football and all that kind of stuff. I, there's just something about the flow of that sport that I really enjoy. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I'm glad we managed to put together some games this season. Although yeah. my Raging Cajuns are ranked in the top 25 in every major poll, so this oh. is a big year for us. We're very happy. Now, good for you. Congrats. Yes. 
Thank you. Thank you. It's a rarity. We don't get to say that very often around here. Um, <laughs> favorite meal or food? Spaghetti. Oh, good choice. So again, when we we're growing up, a little side note here, seven kids, nine, you know, nine person family. My mom and dad were very frugal and they you know, built a really nice life for all of us. Whenever we had a birthday come around, you always got your choice of what you wanted for your birthday. Everybody had steaks because we never had steak. We only had steak six times a year because that's what every kid would say until it was my birthday. And I said, spaghetti. And they're like, you idiot. We can have spaghetti anytime. Order the steak, order the steak. And I go, no, no, I'm the spaghetti guy. Still love it. Still love spaghetti and meatballs. That is awesome. Michael's family um, makes a long cherished uh, recipe that his grandfather brought over from Italy uh, that is hand done, takes 18 hours. When next time I get you to Louisiana, we will make some, or he will make some for you. It is it will change your world. I get to drive the Tesla yes. and eat eighteen hour made pizza or handmade meatballs. Ah, I'm there. Let me tell you, it'll change your life. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite leisure activity? I really like to ski in sure. the wintertime. I grew up on skis as we all did up in the Pacific Northwest. I enjoy golf in the summertime. Um, and in between, to mix those two together, uh, do a lot of hiking. I like to get out in the nature. And in fact, we are building a home up in northern Arizona, which is supposed to be done in about 10 days, but it's probably going to be another month. And we will be living up in the mountains and then traveling down into the valley of the sun here where I get to ski. I got a golf course right there, and I got the most amazing hiking in the country up there. So that's that's what I like to do. I mean, it sounds perfect, but now I'm worried about your daily routine of going one and a half miles from office to home. How is that going to change your commute? So here's the deal. I am going to be in our home up there, but my commute is going to be this wonderful two and a half mile hike that oh. takes you up to a place called Crystal Point that myself and my lovely dog Hazel and I like to do a lot. Michelle will do it with me as well, but Hazel and I will hit it every morning and my commute is literally going to be up shake off the cobwebs, do that hike around, come back, get the shape, have my coffee, and now I'm at the office. That's that's what my plan of attack is. Okay, I like that. It's actually a longer commute. Um, it is. Less distance. I like that a lot. And, um, more, and healthier. Yeah, yeah, definitely that. Uh, okay, so very last question. What is your favorite way to treat yourself? Hmm. I got a lot of them, I guess. Boy, there's nothing like sitting down having a beer after work and just hit, hitting the hitting the recliner. Uh, yeah, I enjoy that. And I enjoy a, a nice meal. I really do. And you, you, when you can get back out into it and just, I don't care for anything fancy. I just like tasty. You know, sure, what, spaghetti. Could be, that could be, it could be spaghetti. It could be that dive Mexican restaurant down South Phoenix that makes the most amazing enchiladas. Uh, I like the experience of it. And I, I suppose if it comes down to treating, that's what's what I enjoy. The experience of finding a cool, out of the way, you know, restaurant that has just the most amazing food. Right. Park, I am shocked and sad to say that our hour is just about done. Um, <laughs> it has been delightful to catch up with you. Thank you for making the time. Um, I cannot wait till we can get together again after 12 years um, mm -hmm. and catch up in person. Seriously, Jackie. Well, thank you so much. I, I was just so delighted when you called the other day to invite me on your show. Congratulations on it. I might have to make the move from podcast only into this world too. Fun. Uh, you do great work out there. And so thanks for having me.
Well, thank you. And thank you to everybody who watched and listened today. Um, we appreciate it. Hope everybody stays healthy and safe. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Cheers.